Hey, it's Richie Siegel, the founder of Loose Threads. I hope you, your family, and your team are hanging in there during these challenging times. This is Offense vs. Defense, where we talk with leaders across the consumer economy about how they're managing their business, balancing playing offense with playing defense. Defense is about cutting back as much as possible to preserve cash. Offense means making calculated investments and taking risks to put your company in a stronger position. Just like in sports, a team can't win by only playing defense, and the companies that can weather the storm and make opportunistic investments will emerge in a stronger position than where they entered. This week, we spoke with Ryan Babenzin, CEO of Greats, which makes timeless sneakers for men and women. Since Greats is now part of Steve Madden, the company was in a much stronger position to weather the pandemic, but it hasn't been without its challenges. Ryan and I spoke about how the initiative Brands for Better helped anchor his early response, how the brand is doubling down on digital at the expense of wholesale and retail, and where the brand goes from here in this new world. Here's how Ryan and his team have navigated the crisis so far. Well, the first reaction was like, how do we get the team safe? I had been getting a bunch of intel from a startup that was in the medical telemedicine business here in New York. He was like, hey, I just got off the phone with 80 doctors that I employ, and they're telling me that this is a disaster about to happen. They told us to work from home if we could, and I just took that and said, fuck it, we're doing it too. And when is this? This was like a week before America started to unravel. Yeah, so it was early March. Exactly. And my first immediate reaction just was like, save team. The company is built this way. We all have laptops. We use Slack. We already use Zoom. Like We were doing these things. Anyway, we didn't have the work from home policy we have now, but it was easy for us to do. And then it was, okay, team safe. And then I just sort of like looked at the world and I'm like, wow, like our revenue fell off a cliff as did everybody. The stock market at that point was hitting triggers twice a day. It was ugly. It took me a few days, maybe a week to sort of come up with a way of like, what are we going to do to get out of this? out of my own sadness and go forward. Brands for Betters got put together and we jumped heavily into that. And like, we just want to get involved and do good for the community. That was it. I really wasn't thinking about revenue. I wasn't thinking about growth. I was thinking about survival and contribution, which is very different than what I normally think of. And we just started to inch forward. So you're a part of Steve Madden now, right? Yeah. How did that, I guess, change how you both process and responded versus if you were still an independent company? Well, frankly, in this environment, this is the greatest position we could possibly be in. Unfortunately, there's just a lot of digital natives that are just not going to make it. We didn't have to think about the sort of cash component. Look, we've made our own. Steve Madden has their challenges, which are, as you can imagine, as a mostly wholesale business, sort of very real. And we have a different set. We were sort of expanding our wholesale business, but that's over. That is literally shelved. But we didn't have the considerations of like raising capital. And that allowed us to focus on what do we do to go through this? But we made our own cuts. We haven't, the store's entire retail team was furloughed. We even furloughed some people in the office because it was just didn't need it. And some of that will be permanent. But for greats, that may have even saved us in a way, right? Like we're in a better position than most. And now as a sort of normalization starts to show itself, like I just think we're in the best position we've ever been in as a brand ever because 
I think this is going to now be a digital land grab. And what was going to happen over five years is now happening in five months. And that's what we've always believed in. That's what we built the business for. That's our DNA. And even though we were going to do more wholesale and open some stores, that was still a very small percentage of our business. It was complementary to our core business, which is digital. And now we're just going to get there faster. And we have the resources to do that. And I think that's the big differentiator. There's going to be people trying to start this way and it's going to be really hard. And there's going to be some people trying to shift into this and that's going to be really hard. And as that giant window is open, we're like flying right through it. And what that means is we've had our two biggest revenue days of the year in the last six weeks. Have you seen that basically like this is like the new holiday? Because some people I've talked to, like they're doing more than they would do in holiday right now. And others obviously doing way less. No, we're not. Look, our business, like we've re-forecasted our business to, and it's not going to be what we thought it was going to be this year. Yeah. But categorically, there are some that have just seen tremendous growth. Our category is like, you're not really going anywhere. You're not really going out of the house for a while. You didn't need to like rush out and buy sneakers, but people still are. And now they're starting to go back out and they can't go to stores. Like there's a lot of reason digital native brands right now are going to win, right? One ad rates have just plummeted across the board whether it's Facebook, Instagram, television. Yeah. Have you been investing more as a result of that? We're going to. Like this is sort of that window where the digital ad grab is like, digital native brands got challenged when ad rates got too expensive, which caused acquisition costs to go up. Well, that just got reset. That's one opportunity. Then the other is people are still going to buy things, except they are not going to do it in all these stores that are going to be at 50% occupancy or closing or whatever sort of restructure happens there. So that's a double whammy for digital. And I really believe we're going to be able to sort of capture a lot of opportunity there. And there are signals that are showing that, quantifiable data that says that. So this crisis is horrible. I would have never wished for this as a competitive advantage if I could have wrote a wish list, but we're still a business and we're going to grow it. Where else have you been making investments as other people have been cutting back or there are places that you've wanted to double down in the last two months or so? These are all things that were underway anyway. We were rebuilding our website and it started in January. It went live yesterday. Every two years we do this and two years in like internet time is like a decade, you know, so we did that and we're investing more in, had been in people, aka influencers, whatever you want to call it. We're investing more in other channels. And we've never done TV, but we very well will. Because one, the rates have gotten incredibly low. And two, it's a really measurable channel. Like it's not terrestrial TV in the way people used to think of it. It's Smart TVs with IP addresses that you can measure. So we like that. Yeah, that's super interesting. As you sit here now, you know, 10 weeks kind of later, what do you wish you knew then that you know now? I thought it was going to be two years. I just thought that information was overly optimistic for the most part. And no, I mean, we didn't wait. Who said this? Tim Armstrong? I stole a quote of his. He said, Great managers manage the known and great leaders manage the unknown. That was like two weeks before COVID and it was just sticking in my mind. And then all of a sudden COVID happened 
And it was about making decisions, really, really hard ones, really quickly with partial information. We did that. Like, I'm actually quite proud. Like, I was actually calling my friends and be like, dude, shut down your office. If you get it wrong, you work from home for a week. If you get it right, you save somebody from dying. Think of it that way. And like, when you put it in that context, the fucking choice becomes really simple. It's a hard situation, easy choice. How did you handle, I guess, in terms of like customer communication? Like, what are we disclosing? How does that differ from what we normally do? What did you want them to like feel and think, I guess, as everyone was going through this? Well, we didn't want to be like, go buy a bunch of shoes. We turned off all marketing. 100% zero prospecting dollars were being spent. Brand Better came to be. And this is sort of like, if we didn't have Brand Better, like our last eight weeks don't look like it did. So like, it's that meaningful to me personally and to the brand because it actually focused our purpose. Like we were like, okay, I don't want to try to market sneakers right now. Now I want to market sneakers because the more we sell, the more we get to donate to City Harvest. Like that became the mission. Sell shoes to give away money to people that need it. That's what we did. We invested everything in that. And we ran promotions. We invested in ads. We communicated every which way we could and still are because it still works and people have responded to it. Do you plan to continue that premise? as life gets back to normal over time? Because from my understanding, there wasn't necessarily a big social cause as part of the brand. Is that fair to say previously? Not at that elevated level. Yes. Do you think that's something that changes going forward? Do you think that's just this moment in time? Like, has it made you reassess what that can do both good in the world and for the business? Yeah, look, our purpose of premium quality responsibly made, that is what the new site tells you. There was a whole marketing plan around that that has been sort of paused. But the sustainability or the purpose and the responsibility part is there, fully baked. Now we're sort of layering this social component to it. So yeah, that will be part of our brand forever. And we've done this, like we've done these things ad hoc. Like for three years, we worked with Robin Hood organization. In February, 2017, we donated a week's worth of profits to ACLU when the president put a travel ban on Muslims, which we totally disagreed with as a brand. And I wrote a big blog post about it and made that commitment. So like that idea is not new to greats. Like this has been going on since we founded. It just didn't have this sort of total bow wrapped around it. And now it does, which is great. That's part of a brand's evolution anyway. Like you just start taking these things that were always there and then putting them all together and then it takes in and coalesces. You mentioned before shelving wholesale plans, retail, et cetera. How are you thinking about the non-digital channels now? And I guess what's changed versus pre-COVID? Well, we were just about to open our second store (laughs) in Brooklyn, fully built, soft launched, open for about 12 days. And then look, in the immediate, and let's just call that the rest of the year, I just don't think retail exists as retail. There can still be a box and it can provide function, but it'll be slanted towards the digital part of it as like a pickup service or a drop-off. Yeah, a fancy warehouse. Right, which again, which is, which is already happening, was happening in retail, and now it's, it's accelerated. So the way we're thinking about it is the way we've been thinking about it. We're just like, oh shit, we just jumped five years forward. So that's how we're thinking about it. 
what I think that means for greats is there will be no other stores this year, for sure, even though we had planned some. We may even get rid of one because it's a market issue. So if I had a store in Texas, it would not be as impacted as the store in Soho. And that's not a great issue. That's a Soho versus Austin issue. And I'm looking at Soho and I'm saying to myself, Soho is a tourist-driven shopping neighborhood. People from the tri-state area go there on weekends. They're not doing that. And I don't think they're ever going to do that. Again, ever. That's radical to say, but I just don't see it happening. So like, why do we need a store in Soho? We don't. But that's how we're thinking about retail. Like, it's going to be an even smaller part of our business than it previously was. Wholesale, we had spent eight months opening a few select accounts. They're all gone. Every one of those orders is evaporated, canceled. They're in trouble. So we're not spending any energy there. Yeah. Like we're just going to go back to what we were doing and that's focusing on the digital. And I think the time is right to do that. I think the opportunity for us today is as good or maybe even better than it was six years ago when we were the first digital native secret brand. Things have changed so rapidly in the last six weeks and with favorable tailwinds for brands like us. The question about retail store location is really interesting because I was thinking about this in terms of warehouses also. Like if you have a warehouse in a blue state, which likely is going to take a much more conservative approach to shelter in place and stay at home, the chance that you're not able to ship or fulfill is very real versus if you're in a red state like Texas, the chance they're going to get open or stay open is a lot higher. Are you thinking about like the geopolitical, I guess, implications now of where like fulfillment goes or where in the future retail goes that maybe before, like it'd be kind of crazy to think about that? A little bit. Like I'm not spending a lot of time on it because even our own distribution, which is here in the tri-state area, like it's owned and operated by the company and it hasn't shut down. It got all the safety tools put in, but like it's functioning and it's been functioning and we're in a hot zone, if you will, right? No, I haven't thought about it because I didn't have to. Yeah. Most of us think about things when we're forced to that, like we don't want to overcomplicate it. It's already complicated. Logistics was not an issue. Supply chain, that's another issue. Italy shut down, like... I was like, okay, like we've got to figure this out. Like, how are we going to do this? They're back open and running at partial capacity. And thankfully, we're in a market where we're making the market. Like nobody else is calling their factory and be like, make stuff for me. And we're like, hey, I need stuff. So we don't have a competitor over there taking up factory inventory, even though they're operating at 40% capacity. So that will probably exist for quite a while. What about when it comes to newness? Like you talked about a new website. Has this made you rethink launching products in this environment or even into the future, right? There are supply chain delays at Ricochet into Holiday and so forth potentially. How do you think about that part? Again, this is just accelerating what we were already doing. Like, So we had already developed a bunch of new stuff for spring and summer that's currently not available by greats and that's flowing in. So it'll look like a new thing. The one thing we're like, going to make that we never considered is house slippers. We just think people are going to be home more forever and they're just going to want something that will be an opportunistic category expansion. We're going to definitely play around with masks. You know, we just think like we can make fun with like cool fabrics and 
provide what is essentially an accessory that you will likely need for a very long time, like until there's a vaccine. Yeah. And even when there is a vaccine, I think it goes into COVID season every year, like any other sort of flu that you just protect yourself. Has a crisis changed anything from your own like leadership style in terms of, do you feel like you're now going to be more like optimistic or pessimistic when it comes to the world change around you? Or do you feel like you believe you control less than you did before? Has it changed at all? What's changed for me is more like tactical. I was one of those guys that just sort of overvalued, admittedly. Now I know I was wrong. Like, I was like, no, working in an office and being face-to-face, it's just the best way to get shit done. And I was 100% wrong about that. Missed it, didn't really value what work from anywhere. Because I don't, like work from home almost sounds like prison. It's not, it's not a great... <laughs> terminology because you don't have to be locked in your bedroom or your second office. You need to be productive where you're comfortable and feel good about working. And I think that's part of the, where we're going. But to answer your question, like, so that changed me a lot. I just realized like we had all these tools, we were using them not to their capacity. We're forced to use them to their capacity. All of a sudden, like team actually gets better, tighter, more productive with less in chaos. They're happier for the most part because like they're not happy about the crisis, but they know that like the company's thinking of their health first. That makes them like, shit, okay, cool. They trust me. That's changed. I'm a little bit different because of that. Have there been any other like assumptions or core assumptions pre this whole situation that it is either challenged or made you think differently about? Yeah, I'm gonna trademark this phrase. I call it paycology, which is like the psychology of payment. This is unrelated to COVID, but it's just something that I think about all the time based on quantifiable data on, that we have around behavior, around price and sales. And like, it's a frustrating thing for me to see the way consumers behave when they're triggered with a sale, because it's actually not the price that gets them to buy. It's the perception that sale drives. And this crisis has sort of forced us to do some things that we don't normally do. We went on a 25% promotion in April, which is greater than our Black Friday sale. 25% off is like our max out, we're going on sale. And as I described it to my team, they're like, what about brand? I'm like, look, guys, who the fuck are we? The world is at 70% off from Bergdorf's to Nike. So 25% off is a no full price right now. Like you just have to embrace the sport and understand the market in its totality, not just like our own little bubble that we think about brand equity and what it means. And it's impossible to quantify and sales erode it. Like these are all emotional thoughts, not practical, but it is a real behavior that we can manipulate a transaction with. So I spent a lot of time thinking about that, but that's not COVID related. Well, kind of though, but do you think you'll do more of that now in the future? Because I guess it's interesting from a brand predicate on value, your original proposition was like, we already figured this all out, right? And that's why our price is our price. Yeah. Do you see that piece changing now and you're going to do more of that? It's not so much about price as it is about how do we get somebody to get a pair of shoes in their hand and try them on in a non-retail world? 
free shipping, sales, trust, brand equity, right? Those are all things that drive that decision. And we started testing this tool that basically allows you to try it at home for free for a week. And it was incredible. We tested it for two weeks. We just updated our site. We launched a new site yesterday. So the reason it's not on there is like, we needed to get the site launched and then we're putting this tool back on next week. But in two weeks of testing it, it was shocking to our surprise and advantage how successful it was. So I think the forward world for us is like, we can convert a customer as long as they can actually get this thing on in their foot. Like our conversion rate is phenomenal when we get somebody to try it. And we're focusing on that because like, I don't think retail is coming back in the way that retail was built before COVID. It would be pickup service. It'll provide services, but it's not browsing through stores with lots of people trying things on. And that's okay. We still have the barrier though of making sure we get this in front of as many people and not in front of digitally, but like physically. Yep. And try now is one of those tools that may be sort of another bridge towards that. There'll be more. I don't know what they are yet. They're not even developed yet, but that's the sort of world we look towards. Yeah. So it's more like in terms of how you adapt the experience to convey that than it is just slapping a discount percentage on items over and over. Yeah. Because I don't think I have to discount if I can get somebody to just try it on. We're really well-priced. Like our Italian-made shoe is the number one seller we've had forever. And it's really value sharp price. It's very good. It's friction. It's not pricing. Right. But the friction to get them to see that on this computer or their mobile phone is real. Because conversion in retail for us was close to 50%. Like 50% of the people walking the door bought a shoe. We didn't have as much traffic as we would have liked, but that's the number. That is not the number online. So, so, you know, how do we just get people to try it on? And we're focused on that. We think it's going to work and we think we'll win when we figure it all out. What about in terms of like higher touch things around clienteling and like customer texting and like more one-on-one selling versus one-to-many selling? The reason retail was so good at like when it was good is because you had experience with the product, a knowledgeable, and at least in theory, salesperson. But those two things are what made retail the reason you went to the place, right? You got some guidance, you got some input, you got some knowledge base. So yes, clienteling tools are something that will, for us, will be meaningful. We're using and always have for at least for four years, SMS, and that's going to be our world. You'll be talking to a salesperson, if you will, through text, maybe even Zoom, You'll be like this. Hey guys, like I see you wanted black, gray, and brown. Here's our new styles. And they'll point the phone there. You'll make a decision on what you want to try on at home for free. We'll get them to you. We'll keep what you want. That's not new. That's actually not new. Yep. But that will become the norm. Yeah. Acceleration. Yeah. What are you spending your time on now? Or like, where is your head at in this kind of time in the next coming weeks? Because we were already underway, like building the website. That's a big project. It's a 16 week undertaking. My head of marketing sort of ran point on it, but I was involved in that thing every step of the way. I've just got a lot of context on it. So I wanted to make sure we got that right. And we really did. Like I'm super thrilled with that. And then of course, product, like we were well on our way to like having a completely different merchandising mix, but that got delayed by six, seven weeks. 
but that's back up and running. So now I'm spending time with that. It's sort of like, that's how it goes. It's like, you're like on this thing and you spend all your time and then shift over to this thing. We were going to go international. That's sort of now, if I really believe our opportunity is to focus on the digital growth that we have domestically, then we need to make sure we get that right for the rest of the year. And then everything else can sort of go back to what we were planning. But I have a newfound sort of energy about the opportunity. Digitally native brands got fucking slaughtered for the last couple of years. When we came out, we were probably the last brand to sort of come into the market when it was like, had some glitter on it. Honeymoon, yeah. And right after that, it was over. Facebook prices got too expensive. The whole market realized, oh my God, like you can't acquire customers at a reasonable rate. D2C doesn't work. And then COVID happened. And now you've got the complete opposite. If you're a wholesale brand, where are you, right? Like if that's the majority of your business, you couldn't possibly shift your digital growth fast enough to absorb the wholesale losses. And there's a lot of brands like that. There's brands that we are like right in our line of sight that I'm going to just go after it. Like there's my copycats that came after me. I'm taking their business and there's the guys that are 10 years older than me. And I'm going to take some of their business and I'm okay with that. In terms of like the next few months, what's on the horizon that you're excited about for again, this new normal beyond the world getting better and healthier? Well, I, you know, I think that these behavior shifts happen have been happening it's just accelerating what was happening and like that's not necessarily a bad thing i think the causation of it is bad but the results of it won't be and i'm hopeful and this sort of aligns with what our brand is you know we say it a lot buy better buy less like i'm hopeful that consumers say holy shit i didn't need all that stuff I didn't need to go sort of waste the amount of time I did as like shopping for entertainment purposes. And I hope the consumer just embraces that and understands that like happiness is not equated to amount of stuff. It'll force brands to behave better. People focus on the environment. They'll get credit now, right? Like it, it will shift the whole society. There's signals of that. It's like, boom, you got cancer stop smoking. Boom. Stop eating cheeseburger every day. Like it's, it's that it's unfortunate why, why we're now going to change as an industry, but the result will be better for it. So I'm super hopeful, man. Like I said, it aligns with us as a brand. That's not new. And I hope the consumer becomes more responsible and they're just consumption Buy the best thing you can with the money you have. And don't worry about trying to have more of the same thing. That's an old school thing. Like if you think about your grandparents, like they lived really in a satisfied way with like, they didn't need 10 pairs of dress shoes. They needed one. Yeah. It'll be really interesting to see like what this does to all the fast fashion also, which was arguably the largest proponent of more, more, more. For sure. But you're seeing the impact of them. Yeah. They're being economically hurt. They're in trouble. Awesome. Thank you so much for doing this. All right. Thanks, Richie.